This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. You know the deal. Your project is due EOD, but the stakeholder with the answers you need is MIA. Well, there's a better way. Guru is the knowledge management solution that delivers the information you need when and where you need it. Guru lets your team capture information instantly wherever it surfaces. Slack, Gmail, Salesforce, Microsoft Outlook coming soon, and more. Up today, Salesforce Ventures Managing Partner Matthew Garrett and Salesforce SVP of Commercial Sales Adnan Chaudhry. What I want to do now is shift over to Adnan and let him talk more specifically about what's Salesforce doing, how are we reaching out to our customers, and talk through some of the frameworks and, and tactics that we're using. Great. Matt, thanks so much. Well, good morning, good afternoon. I'm going to be talking a bit about uh, a couple of things. One is certainly the approach at Salesforce and some of the things that we've been going through, but also kind of a lot of what we've been hearing in the market, you know, between Matt's perspective and the 60 plus portfolio companies that he's working with, uh, I'm responsible for the US gen commercial business. And so, you know, we've got companies that I interact with that, that hit all sorts of industries, travel, leisure, hospitality, to, you know, some companies that have been really hard hit. Uh, others that have been uh, on the other side of this and have really seen a massive uptake in their business. Um, one of the guiding principles that helped me personally, you know, I was here, as Matt mentioned, I was here at Salesforce in 2008, 2009. I was an account executive covering financial services vertical and covering New York. And so I remember being in New York and the whole market was melting down. And I think Salesforce has learned a lot since then. And certainly the market has come uh, quite a bit far from, you know, that point. Certainly, you know, any, you know, the safe harbor, uh, if I make any forward-looking statements, uh, you know, this is largely meant to be if you're making any decisions on Salesforce, any product purchases, make them uh, based on current configuration, current functionality. Uh, more here, I invite you to read this later. But, you know, if we zoom out a minute, um, you know, the way that we're thinking about it, and I think this is the case across the board, in late February, early March, I called Mark Benioff, our CEO, had a, had a company all hands shortly after the earnings release and talked about, hey, there's this thing coming. And I think everyone kind of looked and was a bit sort of confused, even like, hey, is this really, is this really a potential crisis coming down? And, you know, here we are 60 days later or, you know, a month and a half later, and we're in this global crisis. And at first, I just want to acknowledge that, um, you know, we're going to talk about the business models of some of our, you know, broader customers, some of the things Salesforce is going through. But, you know, this is a public health crisis. It's an economic crisis. It's a business crisis. And so, you know, I empathize with you, your family, your loved ones, your businesses that have been hardly hit, you know, hit heavily. And, you know, in these three keep up buckets, you know, the crisis hit officially, you know, I live in California. And so, you know, even though we were uh, working from home and a lot of global travel for us and even domestic travel at Salesforce came to halt in early, um, in early March, at least California. It was really mid-March when the shelter in place directives hit and certainly the country followed throughout. And, you know, when you look here, uh, you know, I think we're still here. When, when I talk to customers, you know, they're in some version of this crisis management. If you're like me, a parent with, with, you know, three different schools running upstairs, you know, as long as those kids aren't even back to work, you're still in crisis management. Um, but I think as a business, though, we're, we've teetered back into stabilization. 
and then the third component when all of this comes back and what that new normal looks like and we go into acceleration. And so in this, this is the framework I'm gonna walk through today and all of this blends and I'll sort of, you know, weave in and out. And I think, you know, for us, the crisis management tiptoeing into stabilization where I think we are right now, at least in our business, this could also be considered the, the phase of back to work. And how do we equip our teams to get back to work and whatever that new normal means? And so I use that term interchangeably in stabilization and then kind of acceleration is sort of how we grow our business. And so th this is going to be the framework. And so in the first part of this framework around crisis management, I just want to share some of the things and lessons learned, lessons learned we had. And so three key pillars here. One was like really refocusing our team and refocusing your teams. And what does that mean? Then redirecting your operations. And then how do you engage your customers? So each one of these areas has some lessons learned. And I'm going to call yesterday with somebody that's working with clients in the education sector. And they're still trying to refocus their organizations and their teams. They're even trying to figure out, hey, do we, do we bring higher ed back? And what's the go, no-go date for you know, some of the you know, universities? When do we need to make that call? And that's going to be probably for them you know, in late July uh, at the best if students are showing up on campus. And so they're still kind of in this early crisis at Salesforce. You know, we believe our platform is the greatest platform for change. Um, and so for us, you know, we've been really active in leveraging our ecosystem. You know, we've gotten over 50 million PPE equipment out in the market through just our broad efforts and working with our partners. You know, we've reached out and we've, we've set up a grant process for a lot of our SMBs to help them financially in whatever way we can. Um, we've made a public pledge, for example, to not have any layoffs for 90 days and see how that goes forward, but sort of being very open around anything we can do in these relief efforts. And then internally, transparency was a big part. You know, we've got to rethink our channels for employee communications and feedback. And I'll give you an example. We're having a weekly global all-hands call with our executive staff every single week for all 50,000 employees. That was something that was typically at that level done quarterly. Now we're bringing that in every single week. We're doing sales leadership, all hands calls with customer service and support and sales every single week. So that cadence and that feedback loop has really ticked up. And that's the best practice that I think is across the industry. And then also restating and revalidating your goals. Everyone here, a lot of the companies here are led by values. We're led by values. We don't have the market cornered on that. But really we've had to reevaluate how do we think about that. And our internal annual strategy process is called a V2 mom stands for vision, values, methods, obstacles, and measures. And we've taken that process and put it directly towards what does that mean for COVID-19? And that talks about how do we treat our customers? How do we go to market? How do we think about events? How do we think in this new era? And we've really taken our values and applied it to these new methods. Through this crisis management, there was also an opportunity to redirect our operations. One is just everyone's gone remote, period, remote connectivity. That's a lot of challenge. We have teams that are not used to working remote at all. They're office-based. And we have some teams that are purely home office-based and they're closest to the customer. We have employees we've hired in the last month that have never been on site either to a client, have never met a single employee in person at Salesforce. So how do we bring them in? How do we make them feel part of the team and integrate them? And so we really put a lot of work on that. And then for marketing, We've had to just pivot overnight. We're a company that's heavily focused on high-touch in-person events. And I'll give you an example. Our, uh, our Sydney uh, World Tour, you know, we had 10,000 registrants. 
And when everything shut down, we had to pivot overnight. We went from an in-person event with about 10,000 registrants, and we let it virtually and let all the sessions virtually, and we've got some best practices we've shared around that. And that ended up having 80,000 attendees. And what we found through those events also is not only do, is there a great appetite for virtual, but on those virtual events, we ended up getting a lot more higher level, C-level attendance than we would otherwise. And so really shifting both the marketing and sales engagement to all virtual. And then the organization on our operations, we've had to really self-organize. And a lot of this was informed by some of the lessons we learned in 2008. I remember when I was, when I was a rep, there was still sort of the, the agile and the nimble process around credit collections, customer service, contract modifications was still so decentralized. Um, we learned from that early on. And so in this process, really around customer success, uh, developing the financial plan for our customers. And so we've learned a good best practice is to put more tools and more controls in the hands of frontline managers, frontline reps. So uh, the backend finance teams, sales ops teams aren't inundated. And that's really helped through this message. And then engaging customers, I suspect that's the common theme for everyone. How do you do it? If you're like me, I got bombarded just even by so many different vendors and different players in the space about all these emails. And, and, they're, and it's really hard to pull that message back around what that means. And so for us, we've been really selective. So cold calling efforts during this phase, we pulled back totally. Any non-critical outbound efforts, especially for, with in, uh, industries that were hard hit, we've totally pulled those back. And then the check-ins were really about leading with empathy, deep, deep listening. Salesforce, we don't, we don't have the market covered on great ideas. And so a lot of what we've learned, we've learned through our customers by deeply listening and deeply engaging. And what we found through that was there was a big appetite around understanding what's happening. And so leading through change is a series we've launched. It's available to everyone, bringing in third-party speakers, bringing in, you know, we had Mark Cuban a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we're having Brene Brown for our SMB business around empathy and, and leading through leading with courage. And so there's a massive demand around some of this content. And then others is just being there and just saying, telling people you want to help. So Salesforce Care is our package of various solutions across industry, whether it's healthcare, it's government sector, or the public sector, it's the SMB space. There are specific tools for each of those areas, specific functions. We have customers that are totally isolated in the sense of they have support teams that were used to working side by side at a desk, and now they're working from their home office. So how do you pivot over to ask a question to someone? And so we've turned on tools, and we made a lot of our product bundles free for 90 days. Those were some of the lessons learned we had during crisis management. And I think some of the industry has also sort of taken this to, you know, operationalize. If I go forward, one framework I just wanted to share from Pipeline, I get customers asking me a lot about Pipeline. We certainly, uh, you know, put a lot of focus on that internally. And so for one, I think the create and close is super important. So every one of these slivers, we dive in deeper. So we don't just say, hey, what's the starting pipeline? What's the ending pipeline? And so really the create and close effort, when what was the motion? And we've even found even uh, creating spiffed incentivized create and close in the current motion, in the current month or in the current quarter created a big uptick. And that's the case across the, you know, the industry as well. Certainly you have your pre-book, you have your pull forward revenue, uh, I think what we tend to see is uh, the more larger enterprise businesses tend to have more ability to pull forward because their pipelines are back and loaded versus I think in the SMB space that pull forward has been a little bit harder. And then you go to the push and what were the activities, what were the issues for, issues for the push? And for us, this has been super, super helpful because projects are either canceled, they're paused, or they're just pushed for a little bit of time, or maybe they're re, re sort of 
thinking what their budgets are, how they want to sort of operationalize. And so really understanding this bucket and segmenting it and sticking with it is super, super important. And then certainly a lot of value changes, certain things that are deading out in the wind. So for both the mid-market SMB space and the enterprise space, I think are super critical. And we find certainly, and I think this is across the industry, the SMB space, mid-market space, there's a lot more crate and close and momentum in the front end of the year and front end of the quarter. And so those have been taking a bigger hit versus the larger enterprise motions. Those, are, those tend to be back and loaded, especially with whether it's the January or, or December year end. So pulling that stuff forward has really been helpful. So I would encourage people to really think about pipeline in this core fidelity stage. And moving to stabilization. Now, this is the next stage. I would say this is the back to work. Uh, in some elements, we feel very firmly here. In other parts, we're still early. And in the same construct, what are the opportunities here? One is investing in your team, calibrating your operations, and then requalifying your customers. And I'll just hit on a couple of points here that I think might be worthwhile to the audience here. One, the importance of morale and well-being, super, super critical, uh, more than ever with uh, the situation where the teams are working from home. Our sales teams uh, have never been busier. It's crazy. Like nobody's sitting around watching YouTube or uh, Netflix. Like there's real work and it's not exactly clear. You know, sales is wearing many hats, your customer support, your credit, your collections, your enablement, your number of different things. So we really have to focus heavily on their well-being. We've got a daily 90, a daily uh, nine Pacific 30 minute well-being session organization wide. It was around mental health and well-being. Uh, it's been super helpful to our team. We've actually now opened it up to the whole community, all of our customers, anybody on here. And we've also used this as an opportunity to heavy investment and enablement and reskilling and run it. And now they have to really work on a different skill and vice versa. And so the enablement there has been really important. We thought about our new call motion, our first call approach. How do we come to come to bear? So that's been a heavy investment. The other part that I think is top of mind probably is around stability. Uh, I get asked by virtually every customer I talk to, hey, what are we doing around giving guidance on job roles and compensation? I'll tell you from what I'm seeing across the market, you have a lot, some firms that have had to make deep cuts for all the right reasons that are certainly important to them. You have some companies that have done nothing. Uh, internally, we've decided to give guarantees to certain sales teams. And so that's been the best way to just sort of pause and say, hey, there's a guarantee We've got you covered through this. Just focus on the right motion. And so through that, uh, that's really helped. And then if there's a specific tool that we think is really helpful to the market or part of our stack that can really, really help, we put SPIFs to incentivize that continuity and the emphasis. And so putting SPIFs that are very specific and time-bound has really helped quite a bit. And then we've also have had to really harmonize with new tools and processes. There's just so much coming at sales. As I mentioned, they're, they're playing every single role and so have, we've had to really create pocket guides uh, and really get them super focused and same thing with marketing. And then, so what are the things we're measuring? And so this is the calibrate your operations. And so if we're saying, hey, do the right thing for the customer, have the right motion. So the kinds of things that we're doing now, and this is what also guided us in 2008, we call it AMP, stands for activities, meetings, and pipeline. This is the notion of, hey, have the right activities, have the right meetings, the pipeline will come. And so we're measuring those inputs because historically the output was, hey, here's your number, here's your pipeline, go for it. Now we have to look to a different metric. Um, we have to look to a different metric than just quota attainment. Those things will come later. And then also forecasting. Now what we've said is, hey, cut out the COVID noise to the, to the best extent that we can. Take all the COVID impact out and then confidence and really build that hard edge at 90% confidence. 
And so with that, that's given people a lot of confidence, a little bit more opportunity to sort of, hey, say this stuff is not going to hit, but this is going to hit. And then it's that having that first data point, uh, then it creates a map. And then from there, we've been able to build on top of that 90% confidence. And I've shared that with customers and, and, I, and I get that that's been a really good best practice. And then our marketing strategy continues to evolve. You know, we certainly continue to roll out virtual events, but we really think it's all about speed and relevance. You've got to be fast and the content's got to be highly, highly relevant. And so for us, a lot of that's been around smaller, more intimate roundtables. And also with the customers, when we talk to customers and that's opened up, as things have stabilized, uh, speak to power, you know, talk the truth. And in that conversation, I think people understand, like, there's been a really confirming the project status. Is this on? Is this frozen? What's going on? How can we best help? And through that conversation, we've also been able to qualify at a deep, deep level with that 90% threshold. And I think customers have appreciated it because these projects just didn't show up overnight. Uh, They kind of maybe in some cases got frozen overnight, but they're open to it. And if it's a project that's maybe just frozen, there's actually a lot of, um, you know, get, get the permission from the customer to, hey, we're going to continue to work through this with our teams. And that's been super helpful. And it's also helped our team internally because, again, we tend to be heavily on premise in person with some of the events. So even the sort of solutions engineering, you know, building the right ROIs, the business case, we've now taken those to virtual sessions. But with the customer permission, we've been able to actually go deeper and through that, uncover a lot of near-term opportunities that the customers are asking for. They're, they're begging for this help. So that's some of the high level at the stabilization phase. I did want to take this towards uh, one of the key areas that's top of mind, I suspect, for everyone. And that's around capacity and hiring. And how do we think about AEs? And this is just an illustrative example. It's a company with, right now, 50 AEs that's going to grow to 80 AEs. The same model applies whether you have five AEs and you're going to 80 or you have several hundred AEs and you're doubling. And this was something that, you know, in 2008, Salesforce, I think, maybe stalled hiring a bit. And what we learned was that there were were some pretty big trade-offs. And so we're leaning into the market. You've seen some of the the messaging we put out there. Mark's been very vocal about hiring and we're leaning into the hiring. And so I wanted to just walk through some of the key trade-offs on each of these. And so in this example, maintain the current course of hiring. And in this case, the company of 50 AEs, you drop 20 headcount and then you're at 30. What's the impact of that to your business? And so that's the impact of capacity. Certainly, there's other level, levers you can pull around improving productivity, minimizing attrition, promote internally, some maybe onboard faster, and certainly the, excelling the ramp time. And so this is a bit of an eye chart, but if you bear with me for a minute, uh, the sales capacity trade-off here. And the key hiring phase, if you just assume a million-dollar quota, 60% attainment, again, this is just illustrative. Everyone's going to sort of input their data in here and pull the lever differently. But in this example, if you go through the seasonal hiring and the example of hiring 10 reps in April, 10 in July, 10 in October, you end the year at 80 reps. Here, we're also taking a pretty big assumption of a 90-day ramp and you're seeing the ramp phase. Internally at Salesforce, we view our ramp cycle closer to about six months for for a typical AE more on the larger enterprise side. And so here you'd have 88% ramp capacity going into December and a bookings impact of 35 million of, of, of the yield. If you see what happens, if you just stall hiring by even just those 10 hires and you push those 10 hires from April into October, you only end up with 75% ramped and about a $5 million, about a $3 million hit on your business. But what's really interesting is if you make some cuts now, so if you drop from 50 reps to 30, you cut those 20 reps out 
And then you've got to hire those back in the back end of the year. And even a big assumption, if you can hire that fast, let alone ramp. So I think the make cuts scenario is a lot, lot more generous than it might be otherwise. But where you end up is you have a 50% of your team is only ramped. Uh, but the bookings impact is over $10 million. And assuming a 150K OTE, again, you can flex the OTE bands. You find that in this example, you get a $10.2 million loss in bookings, but you only pick up $1.5 million gain in cost savings. So just something to think about on trade-offs uh, because I think the market is moving so fast and I hear customers in some cases are really struggling with, hey, I'm going to make some deep cuts now and figure out later. And some customers are saying, hey, we're going to stall or in our case, we're going to go right into it and keep hiring through this downturn um, because we do think on the other end, having the sales capacity ramped and being closer to the customer is super, super important and valuable. So that's just one framework I wanted to share here. And then to wrap it up on the third phase of acceleration or growth, you know, as we come back into work, just some thoughts here that, um, you know, again, we don't have the market cornered on good ideas, but some of the things that we're, we're working with and the feedback we're also getting, one is under any scenario, you got to empower your team. You got to have that psychological safety. It's going to be some form of a rolling reboot for sure. And so you're going to have to be uber flexible with personal needs. Whether it's in the stabilization or now, I do think once things sort of get to that standard, uh, you got to have, have an expectation of performance. And so we're expecting every sales team member to have performance goals and we're expecting them to perform. And that's going to have to be creative. We're going to have to be scrappy. And so this is not about, hey, we're going to sit there and wait for Q4, get that one big deal, and that's going to make the year. No. In this new normal, that's gone. I don't care what segment you're in. Everyone's going to participate. Everyone's going to put a win on the board. And I think setting that expectation clearly to the team is going to be super important because we're going to have to have a new calibration. On the operation side, I hear this a lot uh, from a lot of my clients. Uh, some are in retail, some are in hospitality. And this whole notion of re-entering in shifts. You're going to have maybe a Monday and a Wednesday shift and a Tuesday and Thursday shift. Uh, how do we have a rolling reboot into the workspace if someone gets sick or if a team gets sick and you need to quarantine a whole team? So I think this hybrid approach on adapting the operations is going to be something that's going to be more front and center. And we're going to try to help lead the way with some of our clients. And then just the agility and being responsive. And here, you know, it hits every part of our organization. So as I mentioned with marketing, our goal is speed and relevance. And here, operationally the same thing. You know, there's going to be a lot of unknowns, whether it's customer specific or industry or public health directives that continue to come our way. And so a lot of the operations, you know, historically, uh, yeah, I think we've been more quarter to quarter or year to year. Now we're going to go like week to week or month to month. These shorter time spans, shorter bursts, and having those metrics are going to be super critical. And then it's all about elevating our customers. And I think there are some, some companies that are well positioned for this. And the digital transformation is paramount. Uh, if people were trying to get here before, they're sprinting to get here now. And really having the full, full journey of your customer and everything that you're doing around digital touch points. If you're in retail alone, like how does somebody have a shopping experience or a return experience? You've got to be fully digital. And here, leveraging what's been successful around the stabilization phase, the remote support, high-touch virtual exec events, focusing a lot of the marketing towards industries in heavy need or surging with new opportunities. And again, just double doubling down on the emphasis around tying yourself to digitization, enabling smarter, more personalized experiences. Um, that's going to be the new normal. That's how we elevate our customers through digital transformation. And so make those investments now. Don't wait would be my advice to you. 
Say goodbye to slip-ups. Old news is a thing of the past. With Guru's verification tool, you'll always be confident that your team's knowledge is up-to-date and accurate because it's verified by your in-house experts. Saster listeners can get Guru for free today by visiting getguru.com forward slash Saster.